We have Roger Simon with us today. He is a novelist, screenwriter, and journalist, co-founder of Pajamas Media and editor-at-large of the Epoch Times. His new book is American Refugees, the untold story of mass exodus from blue states to red states. That is our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Simon. Great to be here and love what you're doing. Uh, you open with a migration of your own. Why did you leave sunny, freewheeling, happy, hip, and easy Los Angeles man? Uh, uh, because of all of the above except, uh, except the sun. I like the sun. <laughs> uh, in fact, I miss it a little bit. But, yeah. uh, especially today, it's very gloomy here in Nashville. But um, the other things had, had uh, destroyed the city. Uh, and the rest of California along with it, and a good deal of the West Coast. Well, was there anything specific that happened, or just the general drift of Los Angeles? Uh, it, 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 both. It, the, the specific took a long time to digest. Um, way back when, essentially 04, 03, uh, I started a company called Pajamas Media, which then morphed into um, uh, PJ Media to sound more official. Anyway, uh, shortly after I I did that, I got a note in my mailbox in the Hollywood Hills scrawled that said, "We know where you live." Yeah, uh, yeah. this is not a uh, was not a happy moment for me or my family. Uh, and I realized something in 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 that uh, I was a leftist of a sort. Well, I think phony one, looking back on it, um, for much of my life. Uh, and um, I learned from that experience that Muslims aren't the only people that abhor apostates. When, uh, you you become you're more. I had friends who were conservative screenwriters all their lives, and no one, oh, they say, oh, Lionel's a conservative, and they shrug. Uh, Roger wasn't always a conservative, and it became more threatening that I became one, or I'm, I don't, I mean, it, it, I, I, the word conservative, all those terms to me are kind of junk, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, nevertheless, I, 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 I was still a Democrat of the Kennedy era, which to them means I was somewhere to the right of Attila. <laughs> exactly. That's the funny thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what? You don't, you don't go into this in the book, but you say you found it, Pajamas Media, 20 years ago. Uh, why did you choose the name Pajamas? Oh, well, that's a funny story, actually. Uh, the, the, this guy, Klein, who was then... A lot of the star, people starting it were involved uh, online with their own blogs and stuff, um, attacking Dan Rather for his lies about uh, the, the George Bush National Guard papers. Uh, the guy who was um, the executive producer of CBS at the time, in other words, te technically Rather's superior, uh, was uh, went on the Tonight Show or one of them. I don't know if it was tonight, but it's a long time ago. One of the late night shows and called us all amateurs in our pajamas. 
So that's how. <laughs> so we say, okay, we're pajamas media. <laughs> so that's how it got its name. Uh, uh, I, I think that may have was that the first case of the left uh, using a smear term that the right wisely adopted and say say oh yeah that's right i think uh, was the first one that i know of yeah i'm yeah. proud to say i was part of it uh, uh sort of i mean you know it's just it, uh, but it it you know we went through a whole bunch of dizzying things on that in fact we were going to call ourselves open source media and we were actually in New York for the debut with hundreds of people. A lot of money was being spent by the backer. And uh, we discovered there was a, a site that had about 12 people on it called Open Source Media. And we had to change our name back to. I mean, the whole thing, there was a lot of farce going on at that time. Yeah. yeah because yeah. we didn't actually, none of it. We, we were all, look, I was a, a pretty established screenwriter with an Oscar nomination, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And the other guys were, you know, high, high, uh, you know, very responsible lawyers and so forth. Uh, but we were still amateurs at the media game. So, yeah, you know, in 2003, this is this is pretty early in, in uh, yeah. you know, Web 2.0 uh, right. and, and all of that going on. Facebook didn't even exist yet. So, That's right. Um, I, I, so that message on your door, you, you, you mentioned that in the book. And yeah, that that's. Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of people do that kind of thing, but but yeah, maybe made time to get out. Why did you choose then? You know, backward, benighted, bumbling Tennessee. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because my wife and daughter insisted on it. No, <laughs> that's partly true. The <laughs> the uh, you know, I had been around. I I had been covering uh, for PJ Media um, political campaigns, so uh, presidential campaigns. So I had been in in Nashville, I had been in Charlotte, and so forth. Uh, I was voting for Charleston, uh, uh, mainly because um, I, I love architecture, and I had there were those beautiful places down by the water there. That, uh, and, but my wife and daughter love country music. I like country music, but they love it. And, and also, we wanted a place where there were at least creative people around, because that's the life we've been living. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so we live in the suburbs, the southern suburbs of, uh, of Nashville. Uh, well, Nashville, Nashville's been booming. Nashville's, yeah, Nashville's it, a boom town. It is. It is. Yeah. And, but uh, it, it's very blue, and it's very, blue in a kind of business. One of the things I write about in the book that I didn't understand anything about. What I knew of the South, I knew from literature. Even though I've been to the South a lot, I, you know. I learned about the South from Tennessee Williams and people like that. I, <laughs> or, you know, Harper Lee and so forth. And um, I, I started to learn one thing that I should have learned from Robert Penn Ward, <laughs> that, uh, the, the, that the Southern Republicans who had taken over were pretty much, not always, but pretty much the Southern Democrats in new sets of new clothes. Uh, that it was all about, um, as H.L. Mencken, if somebody says it's not about the money, it's about the money. <laughs> and, and that's what was, on the other hand, as I say in the book, uh, the, most of the people 
And I don't have statistics on this. I'm a writer like you. I'm more, I, I do things more out of my stomach than I do out of um, uh, spreadsheets. So, um, but I noticed that most of the people who are coming to this area and a few of the other ones uh, were motivated more by ideology than they were by uh, what people used to think, which is, uh, oh, no taxes, <laughs> which, of course, no one likes taxes. So everybody, that's a benefit. But they, it, talking to these people, they were more ideologically conservative in the constitutional sense than the locals. <laughs> so it, it, it created a very strange um, battle. I call these people who came in the cavalry. Hmm. Hmm. Well, well the, the, this is an interesting point because, yeah, we, we've heard all, all the fears, you know, that this migraine has been going, migration has been going on for, for a few years. Uh, you know, just go to, you know, Boise or, or, or Arizona, you see the California Californians showing up. And the, the, the worry was that these, quote, internal migrants, as you call them, would uh, cause red state residents a lot of anxiety because they're going to bring their darn blue state attitude <laughs> exactly. with them and, and ruin the red states. Uh, the fear wasn't justified. Yeah. You see, what we have is yeah, not only not justified, it was the reverse. I mean, uh, my good friend Glenn Reynolds, the Instapundit, um, we've had a little fun chats about this. Um, before this, the very beginnings of the migration was writing on his famous site that they should have welcome wagons to uh, deprogram all these Californians coming in. Uh, and it turned out that he acknowledged that um, he was in error and that the reverse was very often true. Yeah. Um, and you can see why they would have thought that because California has a certain reputation. But on the other hand, California is the size of most countries. Right. So right. It's, it's a wide variety of people. So, so the book, I think one of the values of the book is you go into some detail about local politics and raising a series of issues, as, as you say, it's not easy, Democrat, Republican, good guys, uh, bad guys. There are a lot of internal conflicts within the, the Republican Party. And one thing that you found a little bit uh, despairing uh, about these, these red states is that the voters may swing decisively conservative, but the Republican-dominated legislatures consistently betray them. What is going on there? <laughs> Well, you know, I think I'm glad I wrote about what I, uh, in terms of Tennessee because of the old saw of write what you sort of know. But, but uh, I think it's a national issue uh, that um, very frequently Republican politicians are betraying their life and rank and file because of, uh, well, in part what Lord Acton told us years ago. That uh, you know, power tends to corrupt. That absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely, or it's sort of a combination of uh, Lord Acton and Mencken. You know, if somebody says it's not about the money; it's about the money. People get into politics. You know what's interesting about that to me, and I, I've got to know some, some local politicians. Like, like I know Marsha Blackburn pretty well. 
And she's a nice woman, you know. Uh, but, but they're surrounded. Their job, once they get in the office, is to raise the money. And then, and then the people they're raising money from are, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about rank and file donating 10 bucks. But the truth of the matter is they're spending this, they're hanging around with billionaires and multimillionaires all the time. So the natural human reaction to that, I think, because I've experienced it to some degree, is, what about me? <laughs> why don't I, you know, why don't I fly on private jets all the way to Davos, you know? It's like, um, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I came back from Vegas this, this week, I had to fly, you know, with the with the masses in that cramped quarters, and, uh, and you know, we all hate it. And, uh, and so there's a kind of a strange thing that goes on there, and I think that um, and the, the power of money is so strong that it changes people. And yeah. That's yeah. what we're dealing with. You, you even say that in, in some states, you end up with two Republican parties. You, you talk about Georgia, the state yeah. of Georgia at, at one point where I lived for, for a while, quite a while, that you've got the elite Republican Party and then you've got the People's Republican Party. Uh, what? How does that play out? Uh, other, well, other than with, I, other than yeah, with a blue yeah. state win. <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part, unfortunately, the elite party wins. But we're, you know, ironically, the you know the orange-haired man has become the tribune of the other party, and and this it, it's a strange situation is now reaching. I think in the as we talk right now, we're in a crunch point uh, all over the world. So it's it, it's it's. Uh, how when you say the question, how does this play out? Uh, I oh, no Nostradamus might be able to tell you, but I'm no Nostradamus. Yeah. By the way, I did a little search, research once on Nostradamus, and he missed most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he has the reputation of this seer, but it's not really true. But but and, one thing you, you one of the things you point out, maybe part of the betrayal, and I've seen this, uh, is that when you look at the education. System And this is a big issue in your book about people moving to red states and finding, wait a minute, why are these public schools so liberal? How in the world does a red state like Tennessee end up with a big liberal education commissioner? This is one of your stories. Well, yeah, well in the case of Tennessee, unfortunately, um, the governor um, suckered into it. I mean... Uh, but uh, he's not unique. Uh, giving DeSantis his due in Florida, uh, he, he's held the line against that better than most. Um, you know what's it, what? Uh, subtext to me of the book is uh, is a kind of a a guidebook for you know, for aspiring uh, <laughs> uh, migrants. <laughs> uh, and one of the things right. I realized too in it, because while writing it, and I wrote it more slowly than I wanted to because I was working for Epic Times and doing other things, is that, uh, so I was talking to people over time, and, and this was an interesting thing because, you know, people, were, people when they realized that 
I moved, they would call me up or I'd be talking to them about something else. And they'd say, how's it going? And what's it like down there? You're liking it? You know, you know, and I would get into, and basically, I like it. I mean, but there are problems. But anyway, <laughs> uh, what I started to realize more interesting than that is there's something, there, for everybody who does this migration, and it certainly is a great migration, uh, there's been more of it. That, nevertheless, there are 10 people that think about it. Or certain right. and, right. and there's a certain personality that will ultimately do it. But you get to realize that there are some people who just like it's in human nature who like to talk about this for like ten years, and but they never do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you and you start to realize which ones are going to be which. It's kind of a, a curious situation. Uh, you part of your local accounts of situations is uh, things such as local congressional district campaigns, the fifth congressional district in Tennessee, you follow that. And I, I have to say what, what you lay bare is, you know, it's the sausage making. We, you know, you almost wish we didn't, we didn't have to know all of this. It fills one with disgust. What, what happened there? <laughs> well, you know, we, uh, we got this idea. Actually, it was originally my wife's idea. Then um, I lobbed onto it and then I, connected with the Epic Times, that we wanted to do, to change, the, the, there's a lot of dissatisfaction with, with dissatisfaction with, with the political debates as televised that we see all the time, that much of a basically boring hooey, so with the biased journalists, I mean, all journalists are biased, I'm biased, anybody who doesn't say he's biased is just lying, anyway, uh, so we got this idea. Well, maybe we'd have domain experts do the um, do do the interviewing rather than uh, journalists. So uh, I self-appointed myself the moderator of this thing, and we got involved. Uh, and we've got the backing of the Epic Times. We, it, it, these things cost money. I mean, uh, but then we start. What was really interesting is was trying to get the candidates to do this. <laughs> and that's where some of them who were like policy wonk, policy wonk types jumped in. In fact, the guy who eventually won jumped in instantly. The woman who was favored, who was someone I actually knew and lived about three blocks from me and was, and was once the first female speaker of the Tennessee House and, you know, an intelligent conservative who, who uh, you know, uh, was favored to win the election, um, you know, had run for governor. I mean, a, a well-known person and also a professor of political science at uh, MTSU, so someone who, you know, knew her stuff, uh, walked completely, kept walking, lying, <laughs> when she, she appeared in something like this, told me one time she was afraid of the other guy because he knew, he knew his facts too well. And that was... But, Big problem. But, but, but in terms of the sausage making, here's what I figured out. This woman had paid political pros in Washington, D.C., a pretty penny for her congressional run. You know, they, they, the people who really make money in these things, well, you're donating to a candidate, that money goes usually straight to these political pro, pros who then tell these people how to live. 
how to run and what to do. Mm-hmm. So the, the pros in Washington, who had done uppity help campaigns, told this woman, don't do the debate. You're the front runner. You have everything to lose. <laughs> they gave her terrible advice because she got, she got ridiculed for not appearing. Hmm. But, it, but I don't know what she blew off to these political pros, but it was a lot. And so that you're talking about the sausage making, that I think this was a unique situation because we were doing this kind of as a pilot. And I can say on your show something I haven't talked about elsewhere is that very recently I and some executives at Epic Times who were discussing whether doing something like this with the Republican National Committee on the presidential level, because it was always our intention to do something. They, they, they oh, no, oh, no, no, that's not, we can't do that, <laughs> was, was their reaction. The idea of it being a substantive with people, I mean, we had people, you know, uh, who were experts in China and so forth, that asking the questions. <laughs> but, you know, they would, you know, they prefer, you know, some hack from ABC. So that's way <laughs> Regarding migration patterns, one of the things you, you bring up is a big change in that because of the pandemic, which raised the costs of relocation, you know, sky high. Uh, has, the, has the migration slowed in the last couple of years? Uh, I think it's slowed for a while. It seems to be picking up again. Uh, you know, you can in, in my area, you can judge it by real estate prices that have stayed relatively firm, whereas in the rest of the country, they seem to be going down slightly. So it's uh, also true of Florida, obviously. Their, their real estate prices have stayed firm. Um, uh, the other, the other thing, they hide the statistics on this stuff. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Um, the, the, according to my friend Hans von Spakowski, who studies this stuff carefully, they, um, you know, they essentially lied in the census, or somebody screwed up, or whatever it was, and that uh, California should have even fewer Congress and. And Tennessee and a couple of other states, I forgot which ones, uh, I should have had more, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's what's going on. The other place that you, that you look for in, in the trend is the cost of renting a U-Haul or moving service in, right. different, in different states. It's, it's uh, rather cheap here, but very expensive in California. Right, right, right. Uh, one factor in the trend that you bring up really has to do with the attitudes of wives and mothers. Uh, your wife, for instance, she was she was not a political organizer. And now she, she is. Well, well, you what, know, what, she, why? Why? Oh, well, you know, part of the explanation of that, it comes back to living in California. We lived in, a, working in Hollywood, she did too, in an ultra-liberal area, uh, uh, oh, your kids are going to school with all these people. And she was the one, I'm a loudmouth, she was the self-appointed uh, and correctly thinking about our daughter and all the rest. And then, But then when we moved, she suddenly blossomed and became a politically 
a very strong political organizer and has a gift for it. Uh, I also, she's not the only one. I noticed this with a number of people here that uh, all of a sudden, um, it may be because California is so monolithically left that you feel almost hopeless in this situation. Unless you have a certain personality, but or you live in Orange County in certain areas, or the the far eastern part of California near Fresno and all that area there, obviously they're they're more conservative. California is like several countries at once. Yeah. So it's. um, But you do note a few other middle-aged ladies who have been politicized in in recent times. Uh, was that motivated by th- the left is just getting more and more aggressive and even even, you know, moderate, even even a few liberal mothers just just say, you, you pushed me. Yeah. You pushed me off 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 the ledge. Well, you know, I, I think when you look way back at it, it's a um, it's yet another version of what Reagan said years ago. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. The, and the Democratic Party has become increasingly a monolithic socialist communist party. I mean, they'll even swallow the Ilhan Omars of the world because it's for party unity. It's a little bit spooky when you think about it, more than a little spooky. But but I think that's what's occurred. And so I think that these people started, are reacting to that in almost a natural human manner. And Oh, but also, uh, what I said still pertains, if, if they're part of that cavalry, when they arrived here and in other uh, red states too, they expected nirvana. And <laughs> oops. <laughs> and, 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 and the other part is that the left wants nothing more than to turn, the, the, to turn these states blue. And they and they work, of course, from the big cities out into the countryside. I mean, it's a, it's physically in Tennessee. It's almost like you can almost. I mean, if you drew a big circle around Metro Nashville, the further you extend out, the more red it becomes. It's almost almost exact. I mean, you you sense it. I mean, you can see it. In, you know, I talk about yard sign politics in the book. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can see it in the change in the yard signs as it moves. Uh, final question, and this is the the big one. Take your time. How <laughs> will how will the Great Migration alter American politics in years to come? Will it be just the obvious uh, conservative red states will get more congressional seats, blue states less? And and that and 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 a and and a, and a move to the to the right will follow. You, you, think, is that going to happen? I think that w- could happen, uh, or it could be something much worse, which could be we are headed for the bifurcation of America. I mean, it, it, in the book, you know, um, I, I I talk about this guy Rocky Top, who's uh, who's anonymous. Uh, but a certain a kind of, to me, a certain kind of political savant who has a lot of experience, actually, and hides his identity behind this blog that he sort of stopped doing. But, but uh, it's one, many of our discussions are about that's this very question, 
and it, it depends on the day <laughs> because you know it depends on what side of the bed you woke up on or what or more precisely what popped up on your internet uh, at uh, seven thirty in the morning whether you think um, there's going to be a happy ending to this or there's going to be civil war or the end of the United States. And, you know, if you look at history, well, <laughs> like, you know, you know, great empires and civilizations only have limited times. Yeah. So, so I, I think, so, I think Roger, that in the next year, some strange things are going to happen. Unexpected things are going to happen. They already are. I mean, we, you know, as we speak now, you know, we're just going, the Middle East is exploding. Um, will it stop there? It's gone into Ukraine. Obviously, it's been in Ukraine a long time. And we don't know where it's going to end. And it's all of those things are having huge ramifications domestically. So, yeah. you know, we, we we're... we're <laughs> Hold on to your seat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's going to be interesting. Well, for now, the book is American Refugees, the untold story of mass exodus from blue states to red states. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.